Call him a mad vigilante. Call him a hero. Either way, he's always on target. Never make a death wish. Because a death wish always comes true. And you get to love it. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. I am your host, Scott White, and we are looking at a very special movie, the very first Death Wish, and I have a couple of guests with me here. Gentlemen, introduce yourselves. Hello, I am Chase Austin, host of the Movie Gap podcast. And I am Bryce uh, Levi Perkins, host, creator, producer um all around idea guy um and money man for the movie gap podcast <laughs> thank you for having me. even i learned something there <laughs> i have been on their podcast several several times and this is the first time they're on my podcast gentlemen thank you for joining me and hey it's we- it's taken too long in my opinion yes uh and we're doing the original death wish between between my podcast and your podcast and Canadian movie crew, I, this is the, I've done all, all the Death Wish movies. So this is the final one. Oh, really? The final one is the first one. Wow. So you went, you went the Tarantino arrangement where you start, start at the end. Yeah. Yes. And I believe I am the only one out of the three of us who was actually alive when this movie was made. It came out in 1974. Yeah. Then that you would, would be correct. Yeah. Uh, if, my, if my father was here, he would, he would have been alive. He, I think that's when he graduated college. Okay. So, What did you guys think of the movie? I know Death Wish, most people consider it a modern classic. What are you guys' thoughts right off the bat? What did you think of it? Well, um, I, uh, uh, I had seen this. I know, Bryce, you had not seen that one, this before, right? No. Now, I had seen this before when I first started getting into like film uh in probably like high school like 15 and uh this i actually might have seen this a little earlier when my dad started showing me when we first got cable this was on like the tmc channels or you know like encore action or something and he uh remembered loving it and so we watched it and i remember like and i hadn't seen it pretty much in probably 20 years and um so rewatching it, I definitely have uh, an appreciation for a lot of things that went on, and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, that that being said, I remembered uh, also thinking it was cool, but I don't know why I would have thought that <laughs> when I was that much younger. I think I I think I feel like I would have thought it was boring, but I didn't. Maybe it's just because I was watching it with my dad. But um, it's it's definitely got a very different pacing. Yeah. Than, than movies of, of today. Well, it has a very different pacing than all the other Death Wish movies. I don't know if you've seen any of the other Death Wish movies, but it, this has a, this, the pacing is very, very methodical in this one. But I'm sorry, Bryce, uh, let's get your opinion first. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know it. I don't need, I'm, uh, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't even know who Charles Bronson was. Oh. Um, so I came into this. Yeah, completely fresh. Um, it's like totally fucking fresh. Uh, but I was expecting it to be 
like like um like a 70s like super gory grindhousey type thing which i guess it kind of was i don't know about that kind of stuff i know it wasn't a snuff film i learned that from chase <laughs> that, that that you don't call those movies snuff films that's a very different thing Snuff films are very different yeah um, so i learned that at least but yeah so um i but i uh i was like uh, pleasantly surprised by the methodical pacing that you were just talking about i thought i, I actually uh, really enjoyed myself watching it um and uh yeah i, I don't know I, I just really liked it i was i was just surprised by it a little bit now yeah, even i i even remembered it being more violent and it might be that i've seen uh i'm getting the other ones confused because like okay so uh you you're familiar with all of them obviously uh scott uh yes. i have not seen them all and i don't know which ones i have seen but um i know that it ended up being uh like a canon film franchise right right or exactly. was it yes was it canon it was canon yeah yes. so when when did that when did canon take over the franchise or was it it took it over uh, actually the second movie because okay a uh, death wish 2 came out in 82 which is 8 years after this movie and this movie franchise, they made five Death Wishes all together. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of, I, I compare it to the Jaws, where the first Jaws is a classic. And by the time you get to Jaws the Revenge, it's just silly popcorn. And that's what happened yeah. with this movie. The movies got more and more violent, and they got more and more sillier. This movie is... It's, it has a very realistic tone. It has a very, very yeah. realistic feel to it, which you don't get with the other movies. The other movies are this cartoony, over-the-top violence. See, oh. that's what that's what I was expecting with that's this what I was one. Expecting too. Yeah. Uh, so I think I might not have actually ever seen the first Death Wish. That might be what <laughs> what the case is. But um, uh, yeah, this one was much more like real and gritty. Like it was super violent, but it wasn't like in your face like you know knocking off limbs or you know smashing well, heads or anything like that it was it, i mean there was a very realistic hard to watch rape scene right at the beginning of the movie yes and yeah yeah did you yeah. recognize one of the thugs yeah oh yeah <laughs> goldblum yeah and this um, had to have been one of his first movies right it was yes uh there's actually like i've done all these movies it's like if you're a thug in a because Jeff Goldblum is a thug in Death Wish, Lawrence Fishburne is a thug in Death Wish Two, Alex Winter of Bill and Ted is a thug in Death Whoa. Wish Three. There's a guy I don't know his name, but he went on to become a Vulcan in Star Trek. He's one of the thugs in Death Wish Four. Oh, oh so wow. it's like if you're a thug in a Death Wish movie, you go on to bigger and better things. <laughs> Wait, was it Tuvok uh, from Voyager? Yes. Or yeah, no, Voyager? that's it. That's who wow. it was. That's who it was. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Crazy. Yeah. Well, also, but there's also another. He didn't play a thug, but I saw. I noticed his name in the beginning credits, and I was like, Nah, no way. But Christopher Guest uh, yeah. makes an appearance as a cop in this, which uh, I was uh, pleasantly surprised by as well. Yeah, and, and uh, also. Uh, Uncle Leo, Paul Dooley, uh, is in. As, 
yeah, as a no, uh, Lynn Lesser. Oh no, Lynn Lesser is he's a cop. Yeah, uh, but is, Paul he's Dooley. a cop in, in one of the scenes. Yeah, but Paul Dooley, the guy who, and who was the dad in Sixteen Candles, he plays a cop too. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of uh, character actors in this movie. It, a lot of people like, I don't know his name, but I know the face. Bryce, you've said that you don't know who Charles Bronson was, uh, but Chase, right. have you seen you've seen Charles Bronson movies? Let me. Uh, yeah. Uh, what did you think of? Did you think Charles Bronson did a good job portraying an everyman? Because in a lot of the movies, he's just the automatic tough guy. Uh, but he's not in this movie. He he actually has he has an arc in this movie where he 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 builds to become yeah. Charles Bronson, not known for his act. What did you think of his overall acting performance in this movie? Uh, both you guys. Um, I I thought, you know, I thought he he did fine. I I I liked the story arc. It, it a lot of it is that he's uh, he doesn't talk a lot, you know. He's kind of like speak softly, carry a big stick. And so you can't really tell. But I do feel like he started out a little more high end, you know, not really like you wouldn't expect this guy to shoot a gun, you know. And then by the, you know, even when he, when he first starts, he's never, like, he does have pretty good aim, obviously, but he gets the jump on people more than he, you know, is a real fighter. You know, he does a lot of, uh, like, all of his techniques are like hiding his arm out in like inside of his coat, mm-hmm. shooting the guy, you know, or, uh, so it didn't seem like he was like threatening. Like nobody would, would come across him and feel threatened by him, especially these younger thugs, you know? You got money, man. I'll kill you. Give me your money or I'll bust you up. So, um, but I, I, I liked his performance. Uh, he definitely uh, has one of the strangest looking bodies. <laughs> well, <laughs> that he I've is, seen. Uh, like he's like, he's 53 in this movie and he is cut. Yeah. Yeah. But he's also 50, like, he's also like a 53 where he's like cut, but like the skin is starting to loosen. Yeah, you know, like it, it's somebody who like was really in the prime of their life was super fit, you know, and then like this guy, like he's, he's it's almost like he's uh sort of starting to melt. He's well, <laughs> he's he's cut, but he's got the ri- the wrinkles going. Yeah, so he's wrinkle cut. He's a wrinkle cut fry. You know, is what he is. Well, yeah, and then the whole he's got the wrinkles and the faggy. It's like not everybody can be uh you know shaped like a Greek god like I am. And there's a trope in Charles Bronson movies where he is older. So you usually see him working out or jogging or doing some sort of physical exercise. So the audience can see that he can handle himself 
even though he is older. And I think that might have been mm-hmm. like the beginning with the Speedo shot where we show him in shape. Yeah. Where, you know, he's not a feeble old man. It's like he's, he's inexperienced when we first start the movie, but he is also, he's also in good shape. Just so it's like kind of their way of being like, so, you know, you know, just in case he starts doing badass shit later, it, you know, you can believe, you can believe it, it because you saw that ripped ass bod. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we talked about this. It's giving the, we talked about this actually when we did our Friday the 13th podcast where we talked about mm-hmm. how uh, this woman gets an ax in the face, but before she does, the ax hits a mirror and it gives the ax weight. So when you see it go into her face, you believe it. I think this is sort of along the same lines yeah. where if you see Bronson sort of doing like something that. physical, yeah, yeah. you can believe it because you see what he looks like. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a physical exposition yes. rather than a dialogue driven exposition. Yeah. Um, but I was, uh, I thought Bronson, it surprised me. Well, okay, look, I, I've obviously I've never seen a movie the guy's been in before. Because I didn't even know who he really was. I've heard the name, but I didn't know what he looked like or anything, you know. So um, I was um, expecting it to be like a lot more of like a, like a, I guess, Dirty Harry. But I'm not, I haven't seen that movie either. But like <laughs> more of like an instantly like I'm, I'm a tough guy, badass, like from start to finish. And I was pleasantly surprised by the fact that his character had like a rational arc of becoming uh, this vigilante. That's one of my favorite parts of the movie. That's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. Where he is not. Yeah. He throws up after he encounters a mugger at one time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. uh, He's, he's, it's like he's reluctant or something, but, mm -hmm. but he comes into it and ends up loving it. I thought it was really a nice touch. And yeah, he actually becomes addicted to it. Because those of you who haven't seen, they figure out, the police figure out that Bronson is the vigilante. The police don't want to arrest him because crime is down. They just want him to stop. So the police are trying to scare him off from killing people. And even though Bronson knows him, he still tries to go out and kill muggers. Yeah. Yeah. And almost gets shot. Well, uh, let, and let's talk about let's talk about the uh, the police work. It is some of the biggest fucking leaps that they take <laughs> to uh, figure out that it's a vigilante. I mean, it could be all these like you know uh, muggings gone wrong and stuff like that. But they go, well, uh, it's definitely uh, a killer, and they they know that it's you know they they find the round, so they know the type of uh, bullet. But then they immediately know what kind of gun too. But they also say, okay, so he's going to be a rich guy who lives close and has uh, recently suffered uh, some sort of violent crime that would drive a man to do this. Right. It's like, that's a lot of leaps to take when right. it could just be anybody. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to start this investigation somewhere. So let's start here. Revenge. I want the records checked. Go back, say, uh, three months. Limited to homicide. We could be looking for a man who's had a member or members of his family killed by muggers. 
Now, he shoots that pistol pretty good, right? Okay. Combat veteran. So put Vietnam vets at the top of the list because they're youngest and toughest. Then you can work your way through Korea and World War II. Oh, my God. Now, I will admit well, there's right. a lot of leaps. Yeah, they were. But at least you see, uh, you see a competent policeman and a competent police force. It, it, it's not one of yeah. these where the, you know, the, the dumbass cop doesn't know. They're, they're doing police right. work. That was a nice scene of the movie with me is the cops aren't idiots in this movie. They're doing what right. they can to help. Right, right. And I, that whole scene where, where, where it was Christopher Guest's shining moment where he found the gun and the detective is like, did you tell anyone? Did you put it in your report yet? Yeah. He goes, no, sir. And he's like, you never saw it, all right, until I tell you you saw it. And it's like, yes, sir, understood, sir. Um, that was a nice moment, too, because it showed that the guy had, like, a plan, and he knew if if – they just fingered him and di and said, "Oh, we caught the guy." Then they would have to book him, and mm. and then crime would go back up. But uh, he had this plan where he was like, "I'm going to get him on the inside and just make him leave, and people can still think the vigilante's out there." I mean, it's really it's really a like a sort of. I mean, I know it's not modern day anymore, but it's it's like a modern day or more realistic Batman story, you know? Yeah, it, absolutely. And, yeah, and well, he's same, a rich guy. Yeah, and there's the same pushback from. You know, with Batman, there's there's always that pushback with some police think it's wrong. Some people think it's yeah. wrong what he's doing, and some people are for it. Right. You know, the difference is Batman doesn't kill, and he shoots to kill before, like, even being threatened. He sees them doing something, and he goes after right. them. Right. With, with well, the parallel, well, I was going to say, if we were going to make parallels to Batman, then would that make Jane's his Alfred, in a sense? Who? Jane's, the, the Tucson guy. Oh, yeah, I guess kind he of. he gives him the guns yeah. and stuff. Well, here's – and how about that yeah, scene? Know. So Charles Bronson had to go to Colorado to do a job. He's an architect. And on the way back, right. this guy puts a, puts a gun and ammunition in yeah. his face. He's like, you're checking this bag, he just right? Goes, yeah, he goes, yeah. Wait, are you going to check – Yeah, you're going to check this bag? He's like, yeah. All right. And he just sticks it in the bag. And like, I wrote that down. I was like, wow, that is – Balls that, yeah, there is no uh, luggage check or anything like that. You could just throw a gun in a bag. Yeah. yeah. But also to talk about the, the Colorado thing. So like, you know, his wife gets uh, his wife gets killed. His daughter's murdered. I mean, uh, raped. And uh, he goes off to Colorado. And then we spend 20, maybe 30 minutes of this movie just talking about landscaping. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, an entire and, montage of them building homes. Yeah. Which was so like this and long scenes long scenes about them like discussing what they're going to do yeah. with this this whole uh, real estate I, development that has nothing I, to do with the main plot i think it's it doesn't but i think it's there to set up that bronson is just a regular guy he's not uh you know he's yeah, not a right, superhero sure. he's not a cop he's just an he's just an architect i think that's to establish him as an everyman and I think I, it, it does. I think it went on a little too long. I think we could have uh, shortened that. But I did like the fact that it was like Bronson's an everyman. He's not a, he's not a killing machine. And while we're there, we find out that he's able to shoot a gun. Um, yeah. yeah. He grew up with guns. He was on a yeah. Now, what did you think of his progression as a vigilante? Because I really enjoyed it. Because it starts off with, 
first of all, he gets mugged, and then he hits the guy with the quarters. So second, he just goes walking along, and he gets confronted, and then he kills somebody. And then he stops a mugging, but then he starts enticing muggers by, uh, by sitting yeah. alone in a subway car or flashing his money. What did you guys think of him actually, you know, actually trying to bait these guys, these, these muggers to, to attack him? Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I already kind of spoke on it a little bit, but yeah, that seeing that, that uh, progression of, of like first being completely shaken and, and scared by it to then becoming like what you said, like almost addicted to it, to where he, like you're saying, he's going out there doing it on purpose. I thought it was just a really nice touch for a movie like this, where you're expecting it to just be bang, bang, bang the whole movie, but it actually has some human element to it there where you're watching a progression of a character, uh, I thought it made it took the movie to another level uh, and made it something more than just uh, what I guess it was trying to. What was it marketed as like a a grindhouse schlock movie or something? Or like, uh, no, what was it, it was supposed to be. It was actually it was marketed as a modern day western, as you can tell because okay. in the in the movie there ha- there's that scene in the western town. And they make all these Western references. Yeah. Where, and he's even using, yeah. he's even using a six right. gun. So the vigilante. Right. Revolver, yeah. Yeah, the vigilante was prominent in Western movies. And so they just right, took that right. and they moved it into modern day. So it's a okay. modern day okay. Western, basically. You know, I'm did here. Ha- did Sheriff, like I'm a- here to clean up the streets. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. So that's, that's basically. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, was it, did it have a national release, like, like a standard national release, like oh, yeah. say a Jaws or something or oh, was yeah. it, or was it, um, okay. Okay. Oh, no, this was a big well, movie and it was a big hit. Oh, it, really? Yeah. It cost like $4 million to make and it made like $25 million. So that's $25 million. Oh, wow. Money. Wow. Um, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, I just thought for an action movie like that, uh, um, Having a real character arc from the main character, watching the transformation just kind of took it up a notch. It took it to another level. Should probably should have won a few Oscars. Uh, well, I think there, there's uh, there's so much in this movie that uh, it kind of goes back and forth between uh, like the way it's shot. Like some of the stuff is really cool and and like uh, like like we talked about composition with Jaws and stuff. Like I like the like the shooting. Like the conversations they were having, where you kind of like pan, we're we're behind a bunch of trees and we're following along, you know. Or the cut from when he goes, he's out in uh, Colorado and he comes back, and like the transition is we we're in the airport and we the shot starts on a a postcard being sold to the airport of New York and then pans out. So like it's like that yeah. establishing shot without just saying New York City or anything yeah. like that. There's a lot of really cool stuff, and then there's a lot of stuff where the shots are kind of just boring two for talking shots sure so it, it like there's parts of it that felt almost like a cheaper shoot and then with where the cinematography and stuff was, was trying to do something more interesting mm-hmm. but I, I think that's also just you know of the time too that like there wasn't as many uh, movies that like that's just how things were shot back then so right. you know but um the, it has a very cool look to it it's it's all very uh, there's a lot of like voyeuristic, like we're sneaking around just like he is mm. in, in the the way it's shot, or at least that's what I felt. 
So now, what do you guys think was... of uh, new, what I enjoyed seeing was New York City in the 70s. I felt like the city as the yeah. this yeah. how because that was the height of it at being well uh, well first of all we're hit over the head at the be you know because Charles Bronson and his wife are in the movie starts in Hawaii and they come back to New York yeah and the minute he gets back to work it's just like uh, you know people got this is a very very oh, um, oh yeah this is a very very pro gun pro pro yeah, I don't want to yeah. say a pro violent but pro you know, let's get these creeps off the street movie. And we're just hit over the head yeah. uh, at the beginning. But I liked, like, just seeing New York City in the 70s as a background, as a background. I thought that was, I thought that looked really, really cool. Yeah. And I guess New York in the 70s uh, is its own, um, um, what do you call it? Uh, it has its own, like, mythos behind it, right? Yes, because, it does. Yes, it does. Um, yeah. Because that was Son of like Sam was in the 70s, 70s, stuff like that, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. So, I mean, we don't, we obviously, none of us really know anything about it, um, you know, not being born then or never living in New York or anything. But apparently it was really, really fucking bad time. And, and it's kind of neat to get to see a window into that, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, what, that's what Taxi Driver was, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, that was all set in the same same time period, so... I think well, Taxi Driver was a little. Was that later? Was that like seventy eight, one or some shit? No, no, yeah. it was it was late seventies. Now, what did you think of the the son in law character? Um, he was uh, real douchey. Uh, I did not like. I it was very. I like how they made it a point. You know, this is his son in law, and he only refers to him as dad. And like it Dude, would yeah, cut that, to that, Bronson, that, yeah. and like you could tell that he was like, I never never told him to call me dad like you know he doesn't like being called dad you know or he's like well what about you know your mom like he he's very he's part of his family like and right. charles bronson doesn't necessarily like him being that and just the way that you know i guess it's it's it has to do with like you know mental health back then to just they they never get that uh daughter any help with the trauma that she went through right yeah you know, they just keep pumping her full of drugs until you know she's like addicted to drugs and then they send her to a mental institution which is just a place run by nuns which like we have nuns fixed anything yeah right, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> well for those so what happened was in the movie charles bronson's wife and and daughter get raped the the mother dies and then the daughter goes basically comatose so for the rest yeah, of the yeah. movie she's just comatose so charles bronson and his son-in-law I have all these scenes together and yeah. And the son-in-laws, you got to feel, but he just seems a bit whiny throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Big time. Yeah. Oh, come on, dad. Don't go on one. Come on. Oh, dad. Oh, yeah. he said that like 70 fucking yeah. times. I think his, his only line in the script, in the script was, Oh, come on, dad. And yeah, him calling him dad. I just was like, it this always, is me yeah, out. it always felt weird. Weirding me out. <laughs> Well, you two are. I, mean, you I two don't. Are married. You know, uh, do either don't, of you? Do either of you call your father-in-law's dad? No, no. <laughs> I think maybe uh, you ought to take care to see another doctor. I uh, I did today. A, a psychiatrist. He uh, seems to feel it might help her if I took her away to another environment, uh, out of New York, on the shore, someplace. Sounds like a good idea. I'll go along with you. Uh, no, Dad. He, 
He seemed to feel that it might be better if she didn't have any association with anyone that might remind her of that day. How the hell do I remind her of that day? Well, you know how it is, Dad. I mean, it happened in your apartment. You're living there. You remind her of Mom. Dad, don't make it tough for me. Okay, I'll make it easy for you. Like, I'm sure I could get away with it. Like, I don't think they'd be like, whoa, that's weird. But it's just like, you know, I, I have a dad. So this right. is like... This is another man that is a dad, but like he's not my dad. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like yes, he's very important to me. I do love him. Like there's <coughs> there, there's a relationship there, but like no, he's not my dad. Like I'm not gonna call him dad. Yeah. You know. It, it, I, I first name basis. It's not even like a stepfather. Like I can see you calling a stepfather dad. Right. You know, or somebody yeah. who is. You know, you are their ward, but like you, you're an adult who has now yeah. come into this other per, this other man's life. You're, it, it. I feel like it's it would be even weird if like a uh, a daughter-in-law called their father-in-law dad. I think that's weird too. Yeah. Like it's just it, yeah. it's a weird, and it says a lot about his his character. Even you know, like that he is this white. He's still a child. You know? Yeah, I will put it this way: if I ever had a daughter and she married a guy and the dude started calling me dad i would encourage her to get a divorce like, I, <laughs> I don't want that like you, you can call me bryce that's fine yeah it's, you know, it's, there's only really two it's ways weird. to think about it like there's the there's this one where it's like okay you're too comfortable and then there's the other one where it comes across where it's like almost like you're saying it almost derogatory yeah when you like you know and you're a grown-ass man yeah it's just it's, calling it's another grown-ass man dad that is not your dad yeah yeah it's it's, it's just very strange I don't like it, but anyway, so that's my, that's our take on that guy. That's <laughs> and I mean, man, the that uh, but to go back to the 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 brutal scene where they follow the you know the mom and the daughter up into the uh, the room like that was an intense uh, a, assault. Yeah. I mean, that was I mean, they fucking the spray, spray paint her butt <laughs> and like Ooh, the that uh, was it was you, all. You said it best. Got hard to watch. It yeah. really was. I was it like, is. I kind of had to turn away it's, a little bit. Well, it's scene. like um, the first three Death Wish movies, all directed by Michael Winner, all have very graphic rape scenes. Uh, four and five do not, uh, and four and five are not directed by Michael Winner. I'm just saying. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a Tarantino with the feet thing. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel it's well, God, this is going to I hope nobody takes this out of context, but I feel the scene uh, is necessary for our, yeah, no, well, for sure, our, yeah. our hero to start his journey, so to speak. It's I mean, it's just it certainly like, gives a motivation. Yeah. And it reminds me of uh, uh, not as mainstream, but uh, Last House on the Left, uh, the first yeah. uh, Wes Craven movie has a like it's much more brutal. The stuff that goes on in that movie than, than uh, at the beginning than this, but it, it's another thing that it drives the plot and it makes it more realistic. One thing that's weird about this movie is these things that, that push him to the edge. Like, you know, it would not have happened without those rapes and everything like that, but we never see those, those criminals again. It's not even about just getting vengeance on those criminals. It's, it just becomes stopping everybody. You know, it's, mm -hmm. Yes. He doesn't try to find him or anything. He's oh, just yeah. getting anybody he can get. Yeah, 
Uh, he ne- and he never finds the original no. guys. Never, he, never makes they, any. They never have to pay. Yeah, and he never makes any inference that he's trying to find them. Right. Like, it's not like I'm trying to get into the CD underbelly. I mean, there is no. It's not like these guys all belong to one gang, and he's trying to work his way up the ladder. He's just taking out like uh, muggers and right. thugs. Right. From all the other, from Deathwish Two on, it is a revenge. He goes after the people who've hurt his family. Uh, Does Jeff Goldblum make a, an appearance in the in the sequels? No, but he uh, but he does. He's also he's a thug with Robert Englund, who played Freddy Krueger in uh, another oh. Saint uh, uh, Saint Ives, which is another Charles Bronson movie. So he plays two different thugs oh, wow. in two different movies, and Jeff Goldblum gets oh. his comeuppance in Saint Ives. Uh, so oh, <laughs> yeah. gotcha. Okay. He doesn't get the people who, who, who destroyed his family. That's a slice of real life. How many people's yeah. lives are torn up by violence? And, well, I mean, maybe, you know, these guys maybe got shot, you know, by other muggers or got arrested for doing a different crime. Right. But Bronson yeah. never gets the satisfaction Karma. of, Bronson yeah. never gets the satisfaction of taking care of these guys, uh, which, you, which is as, as a movie, which as a movie goer, you want to see. And the fact that you don't yeah, yeah. see that, it, it's, it gives you a sort of a visceral reaction. It's like, when are you going to get the guys that did this? And they never does. Yeah. Well, right. and that, you know, that also, it, it allows the, uh, the essence, like his work is never done because he never gets that full on, uh, you know, completion of his vengeance. It's like he has to keep going until it happens. But like now he's in a different city you know, the first thing that happens when he gets to that different city is he sees a couple of thugs and he does the little finger gun. Yeah. You know, like he's going to start doing it there, which obviously he does for four more he's, movies. He's kind of like the Punisher at this point. Yeah. His his uh, vengeance cannot be satiated. Yes. You know, and it's like, it's like you said earlier, it, the more he does it, the more it becomes a compulsion. You know, it's not just I'm mad. It's like this is what I do. You know, I get up in the morning, I go to work so that I can have cover to go out at night and kill bad guys. Right. They created a monster. Yeah, that is actually, yeah. uh, like, Bryce, that's actually a great point. It, society created him. Um, and now society created right. him, and then society wants to stop him all at the same time. Right. Right. Because he, he's more or less doing the the... You know, it depends on your uh, standpoint, but like he's more or less doing the cops' job better than they are. Yeah. Crime is going down because he's killing mugger, he's killing thugs, and less people are willing to go out and do it if they think they're going to get killed. And, and he was inspiring other people to fight back uh, yeah. themselves, like the old lady, the old lady with the her. hairpin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we show the the news. He's watching the news, and we talk to people who fight back. I thought it was weird that we saw a flashback scene of these two minor characters. It's like we just don't we know we uh, we just don't hear the story, but we see the story. I don't. I just thought it was weird to see a flashback because yeah. we don't, yeah, we don't it, see it, it, we don't it, see it, any it, other flashbacks in this movie. The narrative it takes you out of the narrative. Yes, right. it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that was strange. That's that that shot, and then the build. The houses montage were probably the, the more like uh, well, I there's a lot moments. and there's a lot in this movie that like I feel you know it does have some some importance to it like 
but it's also this is not a long movie i mean this is this movie is an hour and a half yeah you know? and so if you cut anything it's gonna be if you don't have an hour and a half movie you don't have a full movie really right. you know? so if you cut anything it's too short so like the fact that but there's that whole scene when he comes back home and he's depressed again that we see him just like thumbing through pictures and it seems to go on way too long <laughs> for what is an action movie. You know, it's just, we're looking but at that this was guy. A nice, I actually wrote that down as one of my notes. That was a really nice touch having those Polaroids come back and actually play into, Oh shit. They're developed. Because this was back in the day when it took a while. You know, I took these pictures on vacation, didn't get it de- uh, developed until so and so, and then they don't even come back developed until after my after this yeah, tragedy dead, happens. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really nice touch. I wasn't like the fact that they even thought of that detail to like, oh, let's have a scene where he's reminiscing over. The, I was like, wow, I wouldn't have even thought to like go back to the Polaroids at the very beginning of the movie. Um, normally, that would be a completely inconsequential moment, but. But they, but they brought it back in a really nice way to where it actually ended up having real weight to it. Well, yeah, and it shows like you know instead of dealing with it's it's it shows his development of how he deals with that grief. Yeah, you know instead of like dealing with it, he retro like he becomes you know he goes out to kill instead right. of uh, am I hitting something over there? No, you're good. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it, it's just it it felt like again. There's every scene just was a little too long, too long. It felt like for for pacing sake, and movies just were sh- like they they were not as fast paced as they are now, and I know that with a lot of cases. But like you know, there's like a lot of scenes with the discussion in the with the cops that were like there was like three or four four scenes that were the same thing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, sure. I always thought well because we we talked about the um, the son-in-law, and he disappears for the last yeah. He's just gone. I I was not satisfied. I thought it might have been. What if the son-in-law finds out that Bronson is doing this? I thought that might have been a nice twist. Um, oh. What is he? But yeah, he's just gone, and I don't know what he. And he's gone forever. He's not in any of the sequel. He's not mentioned in any of the sequels. <laughs> uh, that character, yeah. once he utters his last line. He's gone from the rest of this movie, and he's he's gone from the entire series. Oh wow! Yeah. And Carol, they never really mentioned the daughter either, right? After that, right? No, or well, no, I, the I daughter. The daughter. You did miss something because the daughter comes back in Death okay. Wish Two, and she's still coming. Oh, okay, so oh. she doesn't come back in this movie, though. No, she doesn't oh, come back okay. in this movie, but she comes back in Death Wish Two. Gotcha. Spoilers, but without a husband. <laughs> without a husband, and they never mentioned. They never mention what happened to the husband. Oh wow! But That's she's funny. still coma. She's still institutionalized, and she ends up getting raped and killed in Death Wish Two. Oh shit! Yeah. So. Oh my god! So, that director was that she, the was that the scene in the second one? Well, was, she's raped. Happened to her she's, she's again. By, she's so she's she's raped by Jeff Goldblum in the first movie, and Charles and and uh, and. Uh, uh, Fishburn in the second. Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. Wow. So that's a rough uh, life. That guy, yeah, that, that sounds like some nefarious Hollywood shit right there. I don't well, know. Okay, so I don't. Uh, that guy is, and having her being rape scenes. No, no, no. I'm just. This is awkward. Uh, this is just plot line. Yes, this is plot line. But I, this is awkward. We're, we're talking about the rape scenes. Did 
do you think the movie would still have the same impact if we just if we cut to Charles Bronson getting a phone call, your wife has been beaten and raped, no, and we, and we don't see no. it. Do you, do you, do you, the movie would, would the how would the movie have the same? Would it have the same impact, or or what do you think about that? It would not have the same impact. I, I think yeah. that it, you know, it's not just it's not a gratuitous scene for the sake of gratuity. It right. is for the sake of. The, the viewer the plot line, you know like the viewer yeah. being being and able to have a it has human, an emotional impact yeah absolutely yeah yeah all three of us are familiar with b films and a lot of b movies put in gratuitous scenes like that just to get they you're right they do it for the superfluous reasons you know just for the shock value and this is yeah yeah this is right, a main right. part of yeah, those are the yeah, all those exploitation films like this is not an exploitation no film. it this is not a, this is a real film now the the later ones especially when canon no like the canon films took over because canon, canon films are exploitation films more or less 100 percent, 100 percent. oh well we were talking Bryce, about those are the we were ones talking about uh star trek who's the troy what was her name from Next Generation? Deanna Troy. Yeah, Deanna she, Troy. Uh, Marina Sirtis. She is a she's a rape victim in number three. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, so two Star Trek uh, yeah. connections. Wait, was she? Did was the guy that played Tuvok the one that did it? To no, him? no, he, he was four. This was oh, three. That would be two. Yeah. Okay. That'd be too serendipitous, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> have the two the weird thing future Star Trek people, you know, do things to on on film. Um, yeah, I yeah, but no, I mean, yeah, it definitely having the scene in there make you know makes a bigger impact for sure. I mean, this is just a uh, you know, it, it's an interesting movie from a you know film perspective. It's it's kind of an important watch, I think, just to see how movies were different back then. And like the, cause like, I know they remade this a few years ago with Bruce Willis and uh, oh, yeah. I did not I wanted, see it. I wanted to ask. Scott. Yeah. I have not seen that one. Have you seen that one, Scott? I have not actually. And it came out. The thing was, it, it came out right around the time we had the, the mass shooting at the schools. So it's uh, rele- its release was, I mean, I don't think anybody saw it because, uh, because of what was happening in real life. Um, yeah. Well, I know, speaking of father-in-laws, my father-in-law was very excited about it because it just seemed like a movie that he really wanted to see. He's like, we got to go see it. And I was like, okay, I'll go see it with you. But like, we never got around to it. He went and saw it and he reported back. He goes, it's awful. It's just really oh, bad. Shit. So, but it didn't look good either. Really? But I don't know, like I don't know if it was a direct remake or what uh, the storyline is really. But it, you know, it was it was not well, a sequel in any way. It was Bruce Willis was playing the Bronson character, so yeah. And he was a doctor. He played a doctor in the movie. I mean, yeah. the, the gist is his family is killed by muggers, but he's a doctor and not an architect. I, I think he's more of a MacGyver vigilante, where he's just not. He's he's finding these unique because I think in the preview we show him he drops a car on a guy uh i think he's coming yeah up he with, drops a car on a guy yeah he, i think well, he's coming up with because bronson is just like uh you know no frills bang you're dead i'm not yeah. i'm not tying into yeah, the railroad well, tracks 
and all that bullshit. Well, and right. I think, yeah, and I think, I think with the with the the that one, it looked more like it was I'm gonna find out who did this. So he was working his way up. I like again, I have, I'm just going off of what the trailer looked like. Mm-hmm. It was like he was beating people up to find information and then killing them. Yeah, you know, but um, but yeah, so. But that's this thing that that this movie, you know, with the violence and and everything like that, I don't feel like it necessarily could get made, especially with the the lack of real closure uh, to the the storyline. And, you know, even if like so he's a bad guy, but he's a good guy, like it's still ambiguous and it's also ambiguous. Like they just let him go. Mm. You know, I like that. I do like the conversation. Leave New York and never come back. Yeah. We uh, have here a peculiar situation, Mr. Kersey. We find it necessary to make you a proposition since you are not going to favor us by dying. You uh, work for a company with lots of offices. Get a transfer to another city, and I'll drop this gun in the river. Are we connecting, Mr. Kersey? We want you to get out of New York permanently. Inspector. By sundown. Yeah. Well, do you remember the, it's really, do you remember the party scene and they're talking about the vigilante? And this woman goes, well, he's obviously racist. He kills more black people than white people. And, well, yeah, yeah. and this guy goes, well, there's uh, more black. It's like, wow. It was just when I heard that line of like, you know, what's happening I, today. Yeah, it's just, yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I was like. Wow, this is the same. It, yeah. it just yeah. hit me in the, it just hit me in the face. It's like, uh, right. So this is, this has been around for a and long time. And I don't know. Time. I mean, a yeah, long it, time. It, it, you know, it, it was one of those things like, were they specifically making a, a a statement with that as well or is that just you know uh something that they just went with like in or, the dialogue or maybe they were just using talking points that yeah. were prevalent back then well and something else that i thought was i don't know and if they it was happen a to statement be prevalent now too i don't know if it was a statement or if it was just a coincidence but uh when he's on the subway and those uh he kills those two guys on the subway one of them is wearing the the captain america jacket from uh or Easy a very Rider. similar one to the Captain America jacket in Easy Rider. And I was like, I wonder if that was like on purpose. Because Easy Rider was like 68, 69. 69. So that was definitely already out. Yeah. So I didn't know if that was like, you know, kind of putting them, like putting that imagery on a thug. If it was, if it was a, a statement from the filmmakers or not. Or if that jacket just became popular. I don't really know. Mm. But. Was Charles Bronson in Easy Rider? No, no. <laughs> Jack Nicholson. But the, was. the the jacket the guy was wearing it was his, it was his right, leather right, jacket. Right, right. It it's a the leather jacket with the American flag on the back. Gotcha. And that's oh, what yeah, Peter Fonda wears yeah. in his name was Captain America. In you haven't seen Easy Rider, right? No. Yeah. But I know the. Oh, that what well, we might have to do that for your podcast, Easy Rider. Yeah, yeah. it's it's definitely it's been on the list for a while, yeah. and uh, Bryce will really enjoy that movie just so. for the soundtrack alone, actually. Yeah. Oh, speaking of soundtrack, I just commented. It's like they're they're using "Born to Be Wild" and Pampers commercials right now, 
And it's just like yeah. the same yeah, music they're right. using while they're smuggling cocaine <laughs> to Mexico, they're now using in pamper diaper commercials. <laughs> this is where we're at. Yeah. Now things have changed. Yeah. And yet they're still the same. <laughs> um, but speaking of the soundtrack, uh, I, at the beginning of this, was like um, noticing the music that was going on. And I was like, oh, man, this is some real like 70s jazz shit they got going with the electric piano and and like this is really putting me in the time um i wonder if they did that on purpose and then it showed that it was herbie hancock doing the whole fucking soundtrack and i was like oh shit well there you go well herbie hancock did the uh did this soundtrack jimmy page did soundtrack for two and three so they had top wow two and three yeah he they have top-notch musicians yeah absolutely yeah um but yeah herbie hancock's you know jazz um style definitely fucking built that mood of 70s new york uh even more so i felt like so let me ask you it was like like just so a part of that time now let me ask when when bronson is wearing his turtleneck and his trench coat is it me or is he just look he looks really fucking cool yeah. 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 Hell yeah. It's it's one of those things where it, it, it happens a lot in film and there's all these looks that you're like that looks so badass. Yeah. But if any normal person wears it, you look like a jackass. Right. Like if I was walking around in a trench coat, mind you, like let's let's say I'm not in Texas cuz you definitely look like a jackass. But if you're like if I was in New York with a turtleneck and a trench coat, people would be like Who's that fat fuck wearing a turtleneck and a trench coat <laughs> thinking he looks like a badass? Right. Yeah. You know, like, but yeah, he does. And he's got a very, um, uh, like, I, all the, I mean, how many holes does that trench coat have in it, though, by the end? Because he constantly is shooting through it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, because he's got his, like, he's always, like, shooting through the pocket or, you know, because, again, yeah. he's always trying to get the jump on the person. But, uh, and I don't think he has, like, I would, I wanted to see one little scene where he opens up his closet and just has a whole bunch <laughs> of trench coats, you know, like, that, like when he really commits to being the vigilante. You yeah. Know? He's got his Pee Wee Herman, uh, yeah. <laughs> set up of chocolates, or, uh, and what is it? or Jeff Goldblum from the fly. I don't know if you've ever seen that Jeff Goldblum callback. Yeah. No, I haven't seen that. Jeff Goldblum yeah. from the fly. He plays. Uh, I haven't the, seen that one yet. Oh, you, oh, we're do- okay. We're doing the fly. Yeah. I'm calling yeah, it. That's, we're okay. doing that's the we're doing the fly right. on okay, we're doing we'll the get, fly on your we'll podcast. We'll get you on that one. Okay, it's yours. <laughs> now, what about the breaking and entering by the police? They illegally go into his apartment and find evidence. Do you think that might have been the reason? Like they want to let him go, but they but if they do take him to trial. Can that evidence be used since they uh, they obtained it without a warrant? Uh, you know, since they. I mean, I don't, I don't really know because I don't really know. Like, I just chalked that up to 1970s police work, and you know, back then I don't know if uh, they were kept on such a tight leash, you know, or if you know, like how much was uh, you know recorded, like where how they found things or what they found, you know, like. Uh, could they get a you know and also it's a movie so you know, i just don't know the like the the amount of realism in something like that especially from being in 1970s so like that didn't even really occur to me that they wouldn't be able to use it as evidence but it you know there was a 
they also yeah, I because they they were saying that the the bullets they found you know were thirty twos, and they they also said they could only be fired from one gun. I'm like, I don't think that's true. Like, well, I mean, one gun that take that. Well, I mean, a, a thirty two. It was just all about the caliber of the of the barrel and shit, right? Yeah, but you like, know, it's so. not. It wasn't made for I, one yeah, gun. And that I don't know. I I'm like Charles Brunt. I'm like um. What do you call it? What was his name? Um, Kersey. I'm Paul Kersey when it comes, like, pre-vigilante when it comes to guns and shit. I'm, uh, I'm a bleeding heart liberal, as they said in the movie. When it You're comes a conscientious. I don't, I don't know anything about him. I don't. Conscientious objector. I don't. Objective. Yeah, observer. Not objector, observer. observer. Like, I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't have anything really, uh, you know, people can have a gun in their own home, whatever, but. I don't know. That's a whole discussion, whatever. Uh, but I just—it's just something I never grew up around, so I don't know shit about them. Uh, well, me too. Yeah, um, everything. Yeah, everything I know about guns is I, I love them in movies. I think they're really cool, and I just let it be with that. Yeah, yeah. Like I like a I like a fun gun, but although the gun like guns in this movie were not like they didn't make guns look cool, you know, like like a you know like a True Lies where guns are like. You know, just shooting all the time and like it's 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 very cool and flashy yeah. this was very much just like little shots you know yeah, it felt true. more that, of a gun that was awesome but but it goes back to the old west um uh parallels that they were going for yeah right, scott that you were talking right. about yeah um the it was like a quick shot you know and then he even says draw right at yeah the end when he before he passed out draw your gun or whatever well you notice um, that he also i just i really i like that he also like the first guy he shoots in the stomach and he's still alive when he runs away. But then he starts eventually putting, uh, you know, he'll shoot a guy and if he's not get, he'll put a, you know, he'll put another round in him. So as he's, yeah. running, you know, he's not going to, the first time he does it, he shoots a guy and he freaks out and he runs home and the guy eventually bleeds out. But then he starts, you know, making sure that these people are dead. He starts putting the second round. Making in sure him. they're dead. Yeah. Making sure they're dead. Yeah. yeah. Now, what did you guys think of Vincent Gard Gardena? I don't know if I'm saying his name. The police chief, the guy in charge of the case. Uh, what do you think of his performance? His, I was talking to Chase about this. I thought it was cool that they gave him a little, um, like a like a character tick. I mean, it's not really a tick; it's a condition. But they gave his character like a specific thing with the sneezing and the allergy problems. Um, the inhaler, that old school inhaler. Yeah, I, that, I was like, that's cool. And that just, it just felt <laughs> that that gave it such a. That's just such like an old school, uh, character, driven thing, like detail to put in to give, to give you know your head uh, police chief. Uh, you know he's the police chief, but he's got allergy problems, so he sneezes. It's a feel. It had this like old school fucking like uh, feel to it, that uh, swagger to it, or something. I don't know. Not he didn't have swagger sneezing, but the, it gave the movie that kind of a larger than life uh, feel, at least with the character. I liked it. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, and like it was saying something also about like he's in charge of the police force, and he is not in shape to right. do the job. He has asthma. He can't. Right. You know, he can't run around and do what Charles Bronson is doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and like, it sort of needs to be done. This crime rate and, like, these crimes are out of control. Right. You know, so, like, if you're, and, like, all the, you know, people of New York have 
like they're like you know before Charles Bronson, they're not not fighting back because they look at the cops and the cops aren't even capable of doing it. So how what chance do they have? Once they see the vigilante going through with it, then they get the right. They're like, oh, this can be done. Yeah, you know. So I think that is a, a neat little aspect of it. And I thought I thought he did great. I thought he was he was a good. He actor. Uh, spoiler he he shows up. He's the only actor from the first one to show up in the second one. His daughter returns in the second one, but he, she's played by a different actress. So uh, this guy is the only guy to he he ends up in two. And spoiler alert, he gets killed. So he, he yeah. gets killed. Uh, and uh, but recognized, he does, uh, but he does carry the same oops. tick into number two with the with the asthma and the, and the spray and all that they so they, they, they keep it that's they keep good. it in two yeah they they <laughs> so what does that say about the the <laughs> son-in-law that he's less important than a character tick you know what i mean, uh, I mean they, they, kept, they keep yeah. the asthma but they and don't, they don't even the, the allergies but that guy get out of here they don't even have a throwaway line like he divorced her four years ago yeah or any, right. uh, he couldn't handle it anymore. So he, there's not even a throwaway line. It's like once, yeah. once he's gone, he's like, he never it's just erased. He never existed. Yeah. Uh, well, did, uh, were the other ones, um, or at least the second and third one or whatever, were they, uh, written by the same guy? Uh, because it wasn't written by, was it written well, by the Well, this is based director? off a novel. No, it wasn't written by the director. This is based off a novel. Oh, okay. And no, they're all different writers. There's actually, and I can't think of the name of it, but the guy who wrote Death Wish wrote another book, and, and it's a sequel to Death Wish, and Kevin Bacon stars in that movie. The, there's a Kevin Bacon movie based on a book written by the guy who wrote Death Wish. And I can't think oh, of the name is of it, it all. Uh, is it Death Sentence? Something like it has death yes, in the name, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have seen that, I've seen that movie that came out in like 2007. Yeah, I just pulled it up. Something, yeah, yeah, it's called Death Sentence. Yeah, I remember seeing that movie and being like, This is the same plot line as Death Wish. It's his family, you know, gets uh, he gets wronged by. Like they get raped oh, and murdered so, and stuff, and he goes out on a vigilante. Uh, oh, so so then the book went the anthology route, uh, rather than direct sequel route. I, yeah. I don't know. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't read uh, it. Uh, yeah, there's. It's not the same characters, but it's the same premise. Any any last thoughts on Death Wish? Anything you want to throw out there? How about this? Uh, um, I know you guys. Uh, is there anything we mentioned about the scenes going? <laughs> but is there anything in the movie that you really, really dislike? It's like, eh, that uh, we couldn't. You know, we could have done without I, that. Would have been different. I mean, I, I sometimes the the music just got too loud. Uh, I, that always bothers me, and it, and I don't know if it's a. Uh, if it has to do with, you know, the way it's like put on Amazon or whatever, but like sometimes that, especially with saxophone and loud uh, jazz music in general, not my thing. So it's just like, it's those high pitched noises that hit me. And I didn't like that. I will say that um, I recognized uh, his name was Sam Kurtzer. The, uh, he was one of the other deputy guys or whatever, following him around. 
and I recognized him and I could not figure out who he was until I looked it up at the end. And it, it was the guy from, uh, it was Harding from, or Harding from, uh, Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, I still haven't done this. Yeah, you haven't seen that one. But uh, I, I recognized the guy and I was like, why do I know who that is? And he's like, I keep thinking of him as like this pretentious dick. And I was like, oh, it's because he was the pretentious dick in uh, uh. Cuckoo's Nest. But um, yeah, no, that was, uh, that was all. I will say that my wife walked in on me watching this one because she, uh, we were talking about it on, on the other podcast. And it was paused on Charles, Charles Bronson's uh, Speedo scene, too, <laughs> when she walked in on him. No, but she, we, when I was walking in, she, wa- she like, walked in and she saw it. And she goes, is that Hector Alexand- Elizondo? And I was like, what? <laughs> she thought Charles Bron- Bronson was Hector Elizondo. You know, he kind of looks like, he looks like an older um, Javier Pascal. Oh, yeah, a little bit. Is that his name, Javier? Is that his first name? Uh, the, the, you the, know, the Mandalorian. Mandalorian, yeah. Uh, and Narcos and all yeah. that. Yeah. Who is also a great actor. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was all I had. I mean, I, I, I got to say, this was uh, a fun rewatch. I had not seen it. I don't think I was going to watch this again uh, for any other reason, and I'm glad that I did. What about you, Bryce? Is there anything that stands out as not so good in this movie? And your, and your final opinion of the movie as well. Um, I actually know. I mean, I did my, my only like negative thing I would say, and I don't, it's not really a negative thing. I just thought it was kind of, I just kind of laughed was what I was talking about before, like all the scenes of them talking about this plot of land and (laughs) building the houses out there was just seemed so unnecessary, maybe a little bit of filler, but it didn't, it didn't uh, kill the mood or anything for me, which is weird because it easily could have. Uh, seeing as how he wasn't even in the city where all the bad stuff was happening. So yeah, but, and and then he also doesn't go back there. Like right, he gets yeah, done with Colorado. Was kind of, done uh, with Colorado. I it I just was like I just, but I found it like a a little bit charming. I don't know, it was a charm to it. I, I I agree. It was like at the end of the movie, they tell him to get out of, and I'm like, well, obviously he's going to go to Colorado, but he ends up in Chicago. Yeah, and it's like yeah, it's like go to Colorado. Yeah. But, but I'm but now I'm right. thinking okay, he's on this vigilante kick and you know, Chicago is gonna have a lot more people than Colorado. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, other than that though, I, I actually really enjoyed myself watching this this movie. I was pleasantly surprised by like how human it, it kinda was. And and then lastly the joke I was making earlier was that Chase was masturbating to Charles Bronson. So in case that wasn't clear, I just want to make that clear. So that's it. If, I hope if, that could be the last thing I say on the on the podcast. I, <laughs> Chase masturbates to Charles Bronson. Again. I'm not denying it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that okay. is another episode of the Charles, uh, the uh, Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. Uh, guys, uh, give us all your information on your podcast. Where can we find you? Uh, well, you can find uh, the podcast. It's called The Movie Gap, and it is on Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, Apple Podcasts. It's anywhere you can find podcasts. Uh, we are also, uh, we have started putting our episodes with full video on YouTube. So just search uh, The Movie Gap Podcast uh, on YouTube. You can find that there. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook at The Movie Gap. So give us a, a shout out. Uh, listen to some of our episodes and let us know what you think. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's, that's all we got there.
I will put all I will put all their information in the description of this podcast. So I want to uh, I want to thank you guys uh, for doing this, and uh, we'll we'll hear everybody back here next time on the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. Thank you guys. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. This should help people find the podcast when they're searching. Uh, No matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. You know, if we had the brains to live here in the country, we wouldn't be here for the reason we are today. We'd be going into the city to work. Mom and Carol be safe at home, waiting for us to come back. Nothing to do but cut and run, huh? Uh, what else? What about the old American social custom of self-defense? If the police don't defend us, maybe we ought to do it ourselves. We're not pioneers anymore, Dad. What are we, Jack? What do you mean? I mean, if we're not pioneers, what have we become? What do you call people who, when they're faced with a condition of fear, do nothing about it? They just run and hide.